You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. All right. I like it when people talk back to me. This is going to be there's a whole lot over here. I'm going to try to talk to everybody. Um, my name is Michael Bozeman. Uh, I feel like that um, Thomas had me come just so that y'all would really miss him when he was on vacation. And that is probably the truth. Um, just uh, I know some of you out there, and uh, just to kind of share with you who I am and how in the world I even ended up right here. Uh, I'm an old Reformed youth pastor. I spent about 14 years as a student pastor, which I loved. But now I am a counselor with... Um, Pathways Professional Counseling, which is a ministry of the Alabama Baptist Children's Home. So when Thomas, when he texted me originally and said, hey, I'm in this series, Family Matters, and he sent me the passage that he wanted me to uh, to preach, I said, uh, you, you just sent me like a husband's love your wife passage to a marriage counselor. And so if you feel like today that you've been in therapy, that may happen. It's been a while since I've been like a preacher, so and everybody can just give me a hundred dollars when you leave, and we'll call it square. Fair? Um, no, realistically, as I'm, I also I get super nervous. So I'm at the lake this weekend. I drove in this morning from Gunnersville. Um, another thing too, when people ask you to do something, always look at the calendar. And if it's a long weekend and you're out of town, you can say, "Oh, I can't do it this time." But no, I'm super glad I did it. And I got in my car this morning, so I'm going to just share this story with you while I get my nerves in check. Uh, So I get in my car this morning, and, you know, my fancy Ford Taurus has this little orange light that pops up and says, hey, something's wrong. Well, I don't know if you can tell by looking at me, but I'm a lot of things, and mechanical is not one of them. So this thing's going off, and I'm like, oh, man. So then it tells me, hey, you got a a low tire. So I'm like, okay, I can do that. You know, Coach Love in high school taught me how to put air in tires, and driver's ed so i know how to do that so i stop at this gas station and i put what seems to be every quarter i had in my car has anybody stopped to get air when did air cost like two dollars i mean it's like free see that didn't cost anything and, and so i put two dollars in there and i start putting air in the tire and the thing says error i was like oh, something's wrong so I, I was go to another one i dig up another dollar out of my cup holder Going, I'm using this one. Well, it won't put air in my tire. Now I'm in for like three bucks. My air, my orange light is still on in my car. So I was like, oh my gosh, I'm driving to, I'm driving to Rainbow City. My car's gonna, I'm gonna have a flat tire. I'm gonna be late. I'm gonna call Steven and say, sorry, bud, you're gonna have to sing and preach. Um, and so I stopped one more time and let me just tell you, two more dollars, six dollars later, that Taurus has 36 pounds of pressure in the front left tire. It's going to get me home. Uh, I, I was like, this is ridiculous. And I wanted to go into those gas stations and be like, you owe me $2 and you owe me $1.50 or whatever. But I didn't because I'm a Christian and, you know, I guess whatever. Uh, also, so this morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians. And I know that you, you guys have been going through Ephesians in this series, uh, Family Matters. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 28, and we're going to go to verse 33. Um, I went back, and I listened to the last several messages 
that that Thomas has preached over this series. As a as a as a counselor, I got to be honest with you. I love I love when churches take these verses and we press into them. The one thing I really love, can I just be honest with you? The one thing I love about the Lord is when when he write in his in his word to us, it's he's not trying to confuse us. Like I when I read these verses sometimes and I'm not smart. I'm not, realistically, I'm not deep. I'm not a theologian. I don't know big fancy words. That's just not who I am. Um and I and so like when I read the Bible sometimes I'm like, "Man, Lord, thank you so much for just being practical." Right? Can we say that? I'm very practical. I went into counseling because, you know, in ministry, I would have these these students that that I had all these years that would grow up and they would get older and they would come back to me and they would say, Bozeman, I have all of these issues. And I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know how to help you. I don't I've never, I don't know. And and so I honestly started taking some classes in counseling just honestly, just so I could help and I could be practical and I could be tangible to those people. So when I'm reading through these verses this week, this past week as I was studying through them, and these are verses that I use in marriage counseling all the time, right? I mean, these are the verses that I come to. These are the verses that I draw people back to because what I know is that we can we can hear a whole lot of stuff and people can tell us opinions and people can tell us what they think, but none of that holds water, right? Is that fair, church? Like, honest to goodness, we take the Bible, right, and we lean into it because we know it's going to do what it promises it's going to do. Does that make our life super easy? No. Right? Do we have struggles? Absolutely. That's why I have a job. Because people struggle. That's why I always have a job. Because the enemy's good at what he does. Now, I don't want to preach my whole message. The good news is, is that I, I, I wrote it all out because I am have what doctors refer to as ADHD. And so I'll be telling you about my dog. His name's Willie, by the way. He's got bad hips and he doesn't get around very well. And, and you won't even care about that, right? So I'm going to try to stay on task with you. But I want us to read these verses. And realistically, what I want to do is I want to just methodically work through them. And I want us to be able to point to, hey, this is what the Lord is saying to us. But more importantly, this is what he's saying about himself. Can we do that? Okay, yeah, everybody needs to talk back to him. It makes me feel like, hey, you're not just miserable. Okay, so if I say, can we do that? You say, well, yes, Bozeman, let's do that. Something like that. This makes me feel engaged. So let me read this passage real fast. Can I do that? Here we go. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 28. We're going to read it all, and then we'll just kind of start coming through it. It says this, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Can I say, when I love this verse in 32, when he says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So what he's saying is, understand this, but what I really need you to understand is, all of this is about me. 
That's what he's saying. So as we process through these verses, my hope is that we walk away realistically hearing from the Lord and that we'll be different because of our interaction with it today. Guys, we should always expect that. I don't care if you're sitting down in the morning picking up your Bible and reading it or coming into the the doors of the church. Every time we come and have this interaction with the Bible, we should leave different. It should do something to us. And that's my prayer. That was my prayer this morning as I was driving in. I was like, Lord, you know I have zero skills and ability to do anything. So my prayer is, is that no matter what I have to offer, that the word goes forth and that the people of 12th Street this morning walked out different because of having heard from you. And the good news is, we've already read it. I'll say, like I told you, I'm not a theologian. I don't, I'm not, I've never claimed to be such a thing. You know, as I was watching Thomas preach, I was like, oh my gosh, they are going to hate today. Because he is smart. <laughs> but, but that's okay. We're going to get through it together. Um, the great news is, in all of this, the Lord, he's not trying to confuse us. He's just giving us this simple instruction. So we start in verse 28. Right. And I know here's the deal. I listened to last week's sermon and, and it's, it's this repetitive thing. We see, we see Paul being repetitive when he comes back, right? Talking about love and what that looks like between spouses as well as the love that Christ has shown towards us. Some of what I'm going to say today, it is repetitive, but at the end of the day, Paul was being repetitive for a reason. It's almost like we can hear him say, I'm going to keep saying this until you get it, until you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth, right? Husbands, what's he say? First thing, husbands, what? You should love your wives as their own bodies. He says, in particular, like in this, Paul is emphasizing the husband's duty to love his wife as much as he loves himself. Now, Phillips, who's a guy I like to read, says, says that most well-adjusted people love themselves. Right? I mean... Most of us, well-adjusted people, we love ourselves. Now, love of self, of course, can be, it can be a very bad thing, especially when it comes off as, comes out in like selfishness. But if we think about, about this instinctively, we provide for the comfort of our own bodies, right? We do this without really even thinking. If I got a headache, what do I do? Yeah. Where's the ibuprofen? Right? If I'm hot, what do I do? <laughs> if I'm cold, what do I do? Right? I mean, we do those things. We, we, realistically, if I'm, if I'm driving around and I'm in a sketchy part of town and I'm thinking, mm, I really need gas, what am, am I stopping? No, absolutely not. What do we, we go somewhere where we feel safe. I mean, we instinctively provide for our well-being without even really thinking about it. It just happens. Right? We go to the doctor. Something don't feel right. Oh gosh, I better go to the doctor. I mean, can I just say too, in this season that we're living in now, how heightened is that? It's like, oh, I felt like I got a headache. I better go let somebody jam a Q-tip in my brain, see if I got COVID. You know? I mean, realistically, how heightened is that in us today? We feel everything. Everything is a symptom of something. And instinctively, what we do is we take care of ourselves. We just do that. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying that that care, right, husbands, that care that you care for yourself, 
He comes back in there and he says, that's why you love your wife as your own body. Just like that. Now, we do those things instinctively, so we really hardly ever really think about just how much we care for and take and think about ourselves. But, so Paul is trying, he's saying to husbands here, right? As much as you care for yourself, see to it that you love and take care of your wife in the same manner. The practicality of that verse. That's not confusing. Anybody confused by that? He says, I like the fact that, that none of us can argue the point that we, that we don't care for ourselves. This is where I'm, I live. I guess, I mean, I, I wrote this. I guess we could argue the fact that we don't care for ourselves, but there's all this evidence to the contrary. Right? So like, I've had people in my office before when I say these verses and I'm looking at him and he's like, the husband's like, well, I don't really care about myself. And I could go through the evidence to the contrary and he's like, oh well. I, uh, I guess maybe I do. You know, like, why you wear steel-toed boots to work? Why don't you just chop your toes off? You know, like, why are you wearing a hard hat? Why don't you just let it fall on your hand? You know, I mean, and so we do those things. But, I, but we go back and we read this verse again, and it says this. Draw attention to this. Hear this. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Because he who loves his wife loves himself. It's saying, man, the way that you love your wife, right, proves that love for yourself. In verse 29, he follows it up and he says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. I love how he pulls this in and he's saying, he says, make no mistake about it. We're gonna, we're, I'm talking to you husbands and I'm making sure that you, you grasp the concept of what it looks like to love your wife. But realistically, what I want, what I need you to understand is, is it's really, it's just a picture of how much I love and I care for you. Right? And he says, so he says that in verse 29. So, just like we do not hate ourselves, but we, we take care of our bodies. Paul is saying to husbands, love your wives in the same manner, just as Christ does for the church. What is, so Philippians 4.19 says this, and, and my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This is how much Christ loves us. Right? Philippians tells us, he says, so we can ask ourselves, well, how much does Christ love us? And Philippians says that, that God will, He will provide and supply every need of yours. So in the parallel, if I'm sitting over here and I'm saying, how, how much does God love me? And what does that look like for Him to nourish and care for me? In Philippians, He says, I'm going to supply all your needs according to Christ. So in the parallel over here, when we're talking about husbands and wives, we're saying, what does that look like for a husband to love his wife? To nourish her and to care for her. So when we're thinking about our, our wives and Christ loves the church, think of it in this, in this manner. That there, there is this God-given treasure to be loved and cared for and nourished and cherished. So what does it look like from a husband to a wife? But I also want us to talk about that. What does it look like that Christ does all of these things for us? So what does it look like, husbands, for you to nourish your bride, providing for her needs? To give her what she needs to grow and mature in favor with God and, and man. 
the parallel of Christ doing that for each of us is amazing, right? And I, I think a lot about, as a, as, in what I do as a counselor, I think about what does it take spiritually for us to mature? Does anybody know? How does Christ mature us? You ever thought about this? Like, I mean, I think the Sunday school answer is, well, I mean, we, we, we read the Bible. Yeah, of course. But what is biblically, how do, how does Christ mature us in our walk? Well, James tells us. He says, consider it joy, brothers and sisters, when you face what? Hard times. You know, in, 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 because it's developing something in us. The struggles that we go through in life that God allows, right, mature us in our walk. They mature us in our faith. They pull us along the line, if you will. Right? And sometimes that's really, really hard for us to grasp. Because sometimes we just want to say, why, God? Why? So as I was thinking about what does it look like for us as believers to mature and what, and what vehicle God uses, right? Because in the struggles that we go through in life, He's looking at us and He's saying, lean into me. I've got you. I've got you. Nothing's happened to you that caught me by, by surprise. I didn't wake up this morning and be surprised that Michael Bozeman is having to go through what he's going through. He uses those things in our life that are hard, right, to mature us. And I was thinking, you know, when we think about nourishing and cherishing, and what does it look like as as husbands and wives, right, to mature us, I, I think about that God's plan to mature us and move us along the spiritual journey, We can that we can find this comfort and joy in the struggle. Now, that's counter to anything the world will tell us, Right? That's counter to anything anybody else would tell you. In marriage, I'm going to tell you right now, you have a rough go in marriage, you can find anybody you want that will look at you and say, I'll just get divorced. Just leave. All day long. You can find counselors that will tell you that. Not me. But somebody will. Right? And we, what we have to recognize is God allows these things, these struggles, to mature us. I get to watch most days, every day, as people go through front row seat to people's struggles. I get to watch couples go through hard circumstances, but I also get to watch, man, with really hard work, and entrusting in the Lord to come out of those circumstances stronger than they ever have. I can promise you that some of you in this room have been married a while, you've had your days, you've had your moments, and some of those things that were really, really tough, right? And you find yourself coming out of them. And the Lord being gentle and gracious and loving, right? And man, it does something. It does something to the bond even stronger. Those harm times, they produce something in a marriage that, that moves couple to a deeper level of maturity 
So as Christ uses those struggles in our life to mature us in our faith, the same happens inside the bonds of marriage. I love the way that Christ commands the husband to cherish his bride. Right? To tenderly love her with physical affection, give warmth, comfort, protection, and security. And when we think about how Christ provides all of these things for His church, we're drawn to see the responsibilities of the husband towards the wife. I mean, that's what He's saying. He's saying, just like this, husband, just like this, just like I'm calling you to do all of these things for your wife. I'm, I'm doing that so there can be an outward look to the world of who I am to you. Right? That's exactly, that's exactly what He's doing. In all honesty, as I was thinking about these verses and thinking about what this looks like from, from Christ to each of us as well as husbands to wives, I couldn't help but think about how this call to love others fits. You know, I think a lot of times like in, in this life that we live here on earth, right? There's only two things, two things that we're going to come in contact with that are eternal. Do you know what those are? The Word, right? And the souls of people. Do you get this? Those two things. Not my Ford Taurus. Thank goodness. Get it out of here. But what... The two things that we come in contact with here on earth that are going to stand the test of time, that are going to be forever, is this... And the people sitting around you. The people living in your house. The people you work with. The people, anybody, right? This, these are the, that's the thing. So as we have to come to a place in our life where we recognize these, these two things have to be, have to mean more and matter to us more than anything else. Is that fair to say, church? Right? People and the Bible have to matter to us more than anything. And so, this call to love, right? My, 1 John 4, 7 and 8 have long been my favorite verses in the Bible. Beloved, let us, I learned it in a different way because I learned it in a song. I'm not going to sing it to you. Um, although, you, you kind of probably want me to, but I'm not going to. Um, and, and so, I've learned it a long time ago in a different translation. But it says, Beloved, let us love one another because love comes from God and anyone who loves knows God and is born of God. He who does not love does not know God because what is God? Love. And those verses have long been at the forefront. Now, I wish that I could say that I could go back over the timeline of my life and say, man, I really lived that out. Right? That would be the definition of who Michael Bozeman is. But you can go, you can drive around Etowah County, you can find plenty of people that would say, that is not Michael Bozeman. But the truth doesn't make it any less true because I didn't do a great job of doing it. The truth of the matter is, right, it's this love that we have for people. Even more so within the bonds of marriage when Christ has called you together. We see in verse 30, Christ provides for us and his church because we're members of his body. I love this. I love this really small verse, right? It says, because we are members of his body. And so he's, he's drawing this thing and he's saying, Hey, 
when we think about when we think about this and we see that Christ not not to provide for us would mean that he wouldn't be providing for himself. So I was thinking, well, since I'm a part of his body, if Christ didn't provide for me, then he wouldn't be providing for himself. Fair? Right? So what I know is he he is going to provide for us. This small verse should this it should cause us to to perk up and pay attention. Christ shares his life with his church and we're members of his body. Right? Now, it should be mentioned here that like the enemy is like really, really crafty and he's really, really cunning and manipulative and a liar and would spend things to make our bodies our and our lives all about us. I, I'm a I'm a firm believer in that the enemy doesn't need a whole lot of tricks. Well, all he really needs to do is to make you and me think of ourselves better than we ever should. Because if he can make you and me think that we're a really big deal, it'll impact everything in our life. Marriages will suffer. Other relationships will suffer. He doesn't need a whole bunch of stuff, right? All he's got to do is make Michael Bozeman think that he's a big deal. And he's got me. And he's got you. The problem with that, the problem with my life only being about me, is that it, that if, like, if I have a regenerate heart towards Christ and He's called me to Himself, I can't separate myself from the fact that I'm a part of His body, right? So I will argue the point that there are seasons in our life where maybe we have these struggles, where maybe we think of ourselves better than we should, maybe the selfishness, maybe the lies and the manipulation of the enemy have made me believe these things, and I'm starting to see that come out. You know, in, in, in counseling, I do a lot of what they call cognitive behavioral therapy. I don't know if you know what that is, but I'll tell you, it's like a triangle. Think about it. Thoughts, feelings, behaviors. And they go kind of like this. And, when, and people will bring me their kids all the time, and they'll say, Bozeman, they're, they're terrible. Fix their behavior. To which I say, I'm not a principal. Thank God, but I'm not a principal. Spent a lot of time there when I was in high school, but I'm not a principal. And I don't, their behavior, me fixing their behavior is not something that I want to do. I want to know what they're believing that's causing them to feel a certain way, that's causing them to act a certain way. And they're like, uh, oh, yeah, okay, let's do that. Find out what they're thinking. You know, and what, realistically, it's the same thing that we do. When I see behaviors coming out of my life that are not indicative of what I know to be true, right? Can we say this? When I see behaviors coming out of my life that are not indicative of what I know to be true per the Bible, is the Bible wrong? No. But my behaviors and those things are kind of like a fever. It's telling me something's wrong. And when we have a fever, we don't pack ourselves in ice to get our temperature down, do we? I mean, you may. That'd be kind of weird, but I guess you could. Right? No. What do we do? We go to the doctor and we say, oh my goodness, something's wrong. Figure out what the infection is. So my thoughts and what I'm believing are like that infection. And the fever is like a behavior that's saying, hey, something's wrong. So when I think about that, right, what I know to be true is like in this place where I'm, where I'm a member of the body and, and, and Christ even tells me because we are members of his body, right? So if I'm operating like I'm not, Either I'm not, and I really don't have a regenerate heart towards Jesus, 
or I'm bound up and I'm believing something that's not true. Does that make sense? Are y'all all like, be quiet, it's time for Sunday school. I'm getting there, I promise. Now, we can operate independently and make decisions in our best interest and watch as things spin out of control. The problem is our desire for self comes in direct conflict with Paul's letter to the Galatians when he says, in Galatians 2.20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live is in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you hear this? He's saying, and this is, this is every person, right, who claims to have this regenerate heart being called by Christ, right, is saying, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer me, but Jesus. That's why, if we're backing all the way up to Ephesians 5.28, and he says, husbands, love your wives. And he's saying, you can do it, because realistically, I'm going to command you to do it, and you're dead. You don't even live, per Galatians chapter 2. Right? You're a member of my body. This verse alone in Galatians 2.20 drives a death blow to the lie that the enemy sells us about anything in our life being about us. I say this to couples sometimes when they come to my office and they get mad sometimes. Sometimes they cancel for two weeks, but then they eventually come back. Once they realize, oh, maybe he's not insane. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. Also, I got a counseling degree, so I could self-diagnose myself. But I say this to people all the time. Somewhere along the lines when it comes to marriage, and I don't know where he is, but I'm going to find him. He's telling people, it's about you. And the lie is, it's not, I mean, the truth is, it's not about you. Your marriage never was about you. And that's hard for us, I think, sometimes. This is America and everything's about us, right? But the truth of the matter is, your marriage before the foundation of the world was always about Jesus. It never was about us. But somebody's out there telling people, hey, get married. You're going to have the best life ever. Everything's going to be perfect. It's all about you. Be happy. You know, all these things. You're going to have the house, the picket fence, the, the goats in there, and the whatever else you want, right? And the lie is your marriage was never about you. Your marriage was always supposed to be a picture of the gospel. And this is where Paul's, he's hammering this home in, in Ephesians chapter 5. He's hammering home in the 12th Street Baptist Church Family Matters series because it's not about you. It never was. And the problem is when we believe that, right? When we, when we firmly hold a, a hold belief that our marriage somehow is about us, there's this conflict. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to A, tell you what it looks like. But I'm also going to remind you that it's about me. It never was about you. From the foundation of marriage, it was meant to make much of Jesus. That's why those verses in Ephesians are so cutting at times if we're living our lives to point to self rather than everything in our world, you know, comes to that place of suffer. So what, is it, what does a life look like fully surrendered to Christ? I wrote these questions out, and I just like to ask questions. What is, it, what is a marriage with Christ at the core look like? How does our interaction with the Word 
help us as we walk daily here on earth, right? Well, the, the, the beautiful part of the Word, right? The Word is going to light, it's going to light in the dark place. It's going to shine the light in the dark place. It's going to be the tool that given, that's given to us to expose the enemy in those places that might seem right to us at times. I used to tell my students all the time, every time when I was finished teaching, I would tell them, if we don't know the truth, we'll never recognize the lie. The only thing that makes a lie a lie is what? The truth. And if I don't know the truth, then I'll buy the lie. Heck, I'll sell the lie. I'll live it for sure and wonder why in the world everything's in chaos until I'm exposed to the truth. And once I'm exposed to the truth, that lie becomes exactly what it is, a lie. The Word is the truth that opens our spiritual eyes to the schemes of the enemy. So we move into this verse 31. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I mean, this is like a direct quote from Genesis chapter 2, right? Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I like this, and I was thinking through this, I was like, Paul is driving home that the fact that from the foundation of man and woman, we're going all the way back. You can take a hard left all the way to the beginning of your Bible and you're going to see this verse. And you can come all the way down to Ephesians chapter 5 and it's still the truth. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's, he is like driving that home. from God's standard for marriage has not changed. From Genesis to Ephesians, as a marriage counselor, I can tell you, um, one of the greatest struggles that I see coming to my office is failure of one or both partners to leave their father and mother. I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, it's always up in there when these people come to my office. We're always dealing with family stuff, right? Now, they may move out of their house, but mom and dad are still very active in their inner workings of their marriage. Um, but I like this verse because when we talk about these things, there's this new family. This relationships have to be much different as as far as authority and responsibilities are concerned. Um, so I tell people all the time, do we, do we love and honor our, our, our parents? Absolutely, right? We still do that. But it looks much different once, once we get married. Because we're, we're talking about what happens, right? Looking at these two verses, the call is to leave and hold fast. This literally means to be glued or cemented together. Right? Do you get this? When you get married, and do you see the parallel? Like, what happens when, when we, we become a part of Christ's family? Right? We're a part of His body. There's this parallel to when, when people get married and how they, they join together and they become this one. Right? They become this one flesh. It's the same thing that happens when Christ calls us to Himself, right? And we become a part of His family. We're now a part of His body. We can't separate from it. Does that make sense? So we're looking at this and we're seeing these two things. But but look at what the Lord says happens. These two are seemingly together, they become one, and that's vastly different than the relationship between our relationship with our parents, right? 
I mean, and I, I'm going to say this, and I know you got kids in here that are sitting with you, and it's going to make you sad, but your kids are going to do what? They're going to grow up, and what are they going to do? They're going to leave. They're going to move. <laughs> They're going to, hopefully, they'll move out. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, that this is what happens, right? You did it. They'll do it. And so when I can say this, though, like when I when I have like opportunities to work with people and I'm, I'm talking to them or working through stuff and, you know, and I can see in this marriage that's struggling and I can see where like maybe mom or maybe dad really like honest to goodness loves and gives more love and attention and affection to their kids. And they even they got this partner over here that they're like hardly ever even talk. Right? And here's, here's like Ephesians reminding us, hey, guess what? Yes, take care of those kids. Love those kids. Champion those kids. Push them to Jesus above anything else. You know, but know this, your kids are going to grow up and they're going to marry somebody and they're going to become, they're going to become one and you are going to be on the outside looking in. And that's just the way God designed it. Sorry, mom. Sorry, dad. That's what happens. You know, don't, don't blame me. Just, you can take it up with the Lord when it's all said and done. You know what I mean? But but it doesn't change the fact that that's what happens. And so the problem is, if we're not careful, right, that's why I honestly believe why in Genesis and Ephesians, it's reminding us and it's saying, hey, 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 hey. Understand this. You'll leave and you'll cleave. Right? Saying when you leave your family, you're one. That's what happens. And, it's, and it even goes into like, in the next, it says, this is a mystery. It's profound. This is in verse, in verse 32. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. And he's saying, understand this. This is what happens. This is why it happens. But honestly, it's honest, it points to what happens with Christ in the church. It's, that's why I was telling you all the time, it's really not about you. It's really all about Jesus. We can work really hard at making it about us. But your marriage always should point to Jesus. The way you leave your family, the way you cleave to each other, the way you become one, cemented together, is a picture of what happens with us and Christ. He says in verse 33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. John MacArthur points out these verses in this, and I'm just going to read you what he wrote because he's smarter than me. He says, as Paul pointed out in verses 23 through 29, marriage is a picture of the church and its relationship to Christ. The mis- this mystery, this magnificent picture that men could never discover and that was unknown to the saints of the Old Testament but is now revealed is great. God's new people, the church, are brought into His kingdom and His family through faith in Christ. He is the bridegroom and they are the bride. A husband's greatest motive for loving, purifying, protecting, and caring for his wife is Christ's love, purifying, protecting, and caring for His own bride, the church. Christian marriage is to be loving, holy, pure, self-sacrificing, and mutually submissive because those, because those virtue, virtues characterize the relationship of Christ and the church. And we as believers walk in the power of the Spirit and choose to come under the submission to the Word, the result will yield marriages that honor the Lord. Our lives may not be easy at times, 
but the blessings of the Lord are sure to follow. That's a promise. Right? So if we go all the way back and we look at those verses, the whole as a whole, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Instinctively. It just comes out of who we are. Just as we love ourselves. Husbands love should love their wives. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of His body. Christ nourishes us and He cherishes us because we were members of His body. Therefore, we'll leave, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. It's, the mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church when Christ calls us to Himself. And maybe you're here today and you have no idea what that means. I'd love to have a conversation with you. I'll be right down here. I'd love to have a conversation with you. But at the end of the day, church, and I'm going to say this, and we're going to wrap this thing up, and y'all can go to Sunday school and eat donuts or something. I hope somebody brought y'all donuts this morning. And if, I do too. I do too. If you find some, let me know because I want some. I'll say this. At the end of the day, end of the day Jesus loves us so much so that he did what that's right he gave his life the marriages represented in this room should always be a picture of that just how much Jesus loves us do we get it right all the time no is the enemy good at manipulating us yes Sometimes do we fall flat on our face? Absolutely. But we get up, right? And we, we can hold fast to the truth because Jesus isn't trying to trick us, right? He's not trying to trick us. Because what He knows is that you walk in accordance to the way He's called us to walk inside the bounds of your marriage. Not only will it radically change not just your lives, probably the lives of your kids and generations to come. But He's glorified. And we get to point people to Him just doing something as simple as loving and cherishing and nourishing this person that He gave us. Amen? Can I pray for us? Father God, we just come before you and just thankful to be in your house this morning. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be here. And I'm overwhelmed by just how much you love us. And I'm super thankful that we just have the truth, God, that we can lean into so that it points out the schemes and the lies of the enemy. God, I pray for, for this church, for the, for the families represented in this room. God, I pray as we walk out of here, God, we have a better understanding of what your call on our life is when it comes to our families and our marriages, but more so, God, just with an unbelievable understanding of how much you love us. God, if there's somebody in this room tonight, and in the room this morning, God, that, that may not know you, that may not have, 
come to that place in their life, God, where they've just surrendered their life to you. Maybe there's a marriage in here that's struggling, God, and they recognize that, God, the way they've been doing it are outside the bounds of the, what you've called them to do. God, I pray that, God, that there will be a place of repentance. God, I pray that lives would be changed this morning because of your word. God, we love you. God, and we trust you. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.